Consider this, 100% of owners will leave their business one day, but few are prepared. Are you? Don't worry, you're in the right place with this podcast, Succession Stories. Host Lori Barkman, the business transition Sherpa, guides you from transition to transaction, from building value in your business to letting go. Lori is a business transition and M&A advisor, specializing in growth, acquisitions, and selling owner-led companies. She's also the author of the Business Transition Handbook. Get your copy and learn how to avoid succession pitfalls and create valuable exit options. Sign up for a business transition newsletter at successionstories.com. Show us the love by subscribing to the show and posting a review. We appreciate you. Now, here's this week's Succession Stories with Lori Barkman. Welcome back to the Succession Stories podcast. If you're not already, please give me a follow on LinkedIn and Instagram at Lori Barkman. Be sure to subscribe. And if you listen to this podcast and enjoy it, do me a favor and leave a rating and review on Apple or Spotify. You can help spread the word by sharing with people who will enjoy the show as well. Today's episode is critical if you're planning to sell your business. I invited Chuck Goldblum, founder and financial strategist of Hurley Capital, for a conversation spotlighting a topic many owners want to know more about, maximizing net proceeds after a sale. We'll explore tax strategies when you're planning to sell your business, navigating life after the sale, and pivotal success factors for a regret-free exit. Being proactive can pay off because you need time to implement these strategies. Plan the work and work the plan. Enjoy this Succession Stories episode about post-transaction strategies to navigate life after the sale with Chuck Goldblum. Chuck Goldblum, welcome to Succession Stories. I'm really glad that you're here with me today. Thanks for having me. Let's talk about you and how you work with clients. And let's also talk about this big theme that we're going to dive into, which is life after the sale and our financial life after the sale. We're also going to talk about some tax strategies for business owners to enjoy and think about strategies that are going to enable them to live the lifestyle they want. I know that's a big topic for you and with your clients. So let's dive in first. Tell me a little bit about you and your practice. Okay. So my name is Chuck Goldblum. I've got a uh, registered investment advisory firm here in New York City, where we focus on maximizing the finances of business owners and business sellers. This is through planning ahead of a transaction. This is through help during a transaction. And then as we'll talk about today, optimizing their life after a transaction. I know on other other calls of yours, you've really talked about how owners may or may not be prepared for life after a transaction. And, and I think so much of that has to do with, I think, as you talk about a lack of, a lack of knowledge, a lack of planning. And, you know, they're not the first guys to go through this or gals to go through this. And if they just had this knowledge and had this preparation, that could be a really springboard to another great phase of life for them, as opposed to, I think you put it some sort of depression that some people will face. Yeah, which is a significant thing. You know, there's an emotional side to a business transition as well as the practical side. Today's conversation is about the practical. And the question for you is about tax strategies after a sale. We want to try to minimize their taxes during the sale process. And, and that's a whole other topic we, we don't necessarily dive into here. 
And I, I haven't yet talked about this on the show, which is why I thought it was an interesting exploration. You know, let's just take a scenario, maybe just give us a client scenario that we can get our head around. And it doesn't have to be a huge number, but it's a sale of $10 million, $5 million, a $1 million, $2 million. We have a total transaction value. We're paying money to the government. And then there's a net proceeds number after everything that we need to take care of. And the business owner now has some money in the bank, the equivalent of putting it under the mattress, right? Now what? So tax savings post-transaction, I put in two buckets. One is sort of a supersized version of what you normally do on a year-to-year basis in savings from taxes. Then there are other strategies, which are really more for larger deals, which are a bit more, more esoteric. So the supersized category are things you've heard of, like uh, supersized retirement savings, supersizing charitable deductions, and th- that that happens via retirement savings. So you're going to you know max out everything you can on the retirement side, whether it is you know whether it's a SEP for a small business, 401ks, IRAs, defined benefit plans, all the any of those things that you that you've put into place, you're going to max out because we used to put up a chart where like during the the deal year is often the highest tax year for the business owner. So you want to bunch your deductions in that year. A, you'll be pushing income to future years when your rates will be lower. And then and then B, you'll sort of free up, free up that cash for then. So, so it's retirement savings. And then the second is we talk about donor advice funds. So a typical client, let's just say, you know, a $5 million sale client might be someone who gives away 10, 15, 20 grand a year to at a charity. Great. So how about taking five or 10 years worth of that? So 100, 200 grand, set it aside at that during the deal year into something called a donor advised fund. At that point, you get the taxable deduction, the charitable deduction. And over the next 10 years or however, at whatever pace you'd like, you can then sort of piece that money out from the donor advised fund. But you got the deduction, most importantly, in that deal year. So that's sort of section one. Section two, for the larger deals, the two categories are one, opportunity zone. So we could talk more about that. That was a Trump uh, tax uh, benefit that is sort of nearing the end of its time frame, but people expect it to be renewed. And then the second one, and this is also something that not, ma- not many owners take advantage of, but some do, and we're quite familiar with it, are investing in uh, oil and gas partnerships. And that there's it can be a big upfront deduction for that. So we can talk about those if you'd like. Yeah, absolutely. So let's unpack each of these buckets. The the donor advised fund, what scenario would you say that's best for? So an owner who has charitable causes they care about or they want to create their own 501c3, a, a charitable donation, you know, organization that they're a nonprofit organization to do donations through that, or is that completely separate? All right. So whether you would choose a donor advised fund or set up your own foundation, the sort of things you need to think about are one. What sort of things are you giving to? If you are giving to traditional 501c3s and that's it, a donor advice fund is probably fine. If, on the other hand, you're planning on doing charitable work yourself, if you are doing work that really sort of for larger amounts where you're actually going to be intrinsically involved in it, maybe you're generating other expenses that might be allocated to a foundation and that sort of work you might do a private foundation. The, the restrictions associated with a donor advised fund are that that money is out of your control, obviously, you set aside for ta- set aside for charity, but also the third party that custodies it has to approve 
of each of the transactions, each of the donations thereafter. So they're going to want to know that it's going to a 501c3 that they have on their list that they can verify is a 501c3. You know, you're not going to be using money from a donor advice fund to buy a table at the charity auction or to buy a foursome at the golf tournament. Those are no good. No personal benefit can be acquired from things associated with with money coming out of a donor advice fund. So those are some of the uh, things you have to think about. Gotcha. So let's talk about the the other things you mentioned, the Opportunity Zone and the Oil and Gas Fund a little more deeply. So what Opportunity Zone, just at a high level, what is that investment? What does that entail? Right. So in the 2017 uh, TCJA, Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, that, that the Trump folks put through, they created an Opportunity Zone model whereby you could take capital gain from a transaction, reinvest it within I believe it's six months from the date of the transaction into an opportunity zone fund that invests in in specific uh, low income tracts, which exist in all 50 states. Typically, it's into a real estate development. It can be into the establishment of a business, but it's into a real estate development. It's not, we're going to go buy a building and then rent it out. You're typically building something from scratch. Or you're renovating or you're investing into the property at least as much as you use to buy the property. So it's real development. And so the first benefit is you get a deferral of your capital gains tax till the 2026 tax year. So with so theoretically payment in 2027. And then the second benefit is that if you hold this opportunity zone investment for more than 10 years, there is no capital gains on this investment. Okay. And then people expect you know, now we're nearing that sort of 2026 timeframe, people expect that this will be extended and there might be additional tax benefits added to it. So that's where the that's how the opportunity zone fund works. So you, you really need to have that lined up because the six month, you said there's a maximum duration of when you can roll over those funds, the, the capital gains funds into an opportunity zone. So we really need to know ahead of time where we're putting our where we're putting our proceeds, right? Yeah. So the the two ways to think about what you might do for opportunity zone investing is one, I'm talking to an owner now out in uh, the Northwest who has done some real estate investing on his own. And I said, well, gosh, this might be a great opportunity for you to create your own opportunity zone fund. If if in fact the tracts near you are attractive and you could build a house there for you, for you to rent out at your own fund. And maybe you would think about that during your sales process so you could really get it going for that time. On the other hand, the second bucket is there are plenty of third-party created opportunity zone funds. You've got to do a lot of due diligence on them, but you know, wherever there's opportunity to invest, there's banks and third parties willing to support that. So we will help owners sort of vet those opportunities. We've done that in the past. This episode is sponsored by the best-selling book, The Business Transition Handbook, How to Avoid Succession Pitfalls and Create Valuable Exit Options. Business owners will learn how to navigate the emotional and practical nature of the transition process to avoid exit regrets. It's crucial to start planning when time is on your side so you don't leave money or your happiness on the table. Reading this book, you'll have Lori Barkman, the business transition Sherpa, guiding you along the way. To download a free copy, head to thebusinesstransitionhandbook.com that's the business transition handbook.com today. So if you Google opportunity zone fund in the United States, you'll find many different independent 
funds out there and you say you're suggesting that the people really need to do their due diligence, which is probably good advice. And we don't right. necessarily just need to be in our state, right? We can cross borders, as you were saying, with your client in the Northwest. Correct. Correct. Gotcha. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, that's a, that seems like a really interesting opportunity. And if people don't necessarily have real estate investing experience, which should they shy away? Or you think this is still something, even if you, you know, you're kind of new at this, we can dive into it. It really depends upon how much money you have available for something like this. Uh, you mentioned that someone who's doing a $2 million sale probably needs this money. And the idea of putting it into something where they're not going to see it for 10 years and they're going to still have to pay the tax in three years really doesn't feel so good. So more likely for, for larger, larger folks, larger transactions. So maybe if you have a net proceeds to our capital gain to use in that type of fund, would you say it's more like $5 million or higher than that? Look, the, the example of someone who's doing their own fund and it's something they're familiar with and they're doing it themselves, you might be able to do a, a somewhat of a higher percentage. Look, what's a $5 million sale person going to put into an opportunity zone? What, two fifty? You know, $500? You could, but you're not going to get that giant tax savings. So I'm typically seeing this with, sort of deal 10 million, 10 million and up. Gotcha. Okay. Now, can you explain the oil and gas? Yeah, for sure. So like many industries, oil and gas has a uh, upfront tax benefit that the government has given to it. And you get, I believe in the first year, you get a 60% depreciation of money you, you put to work. So if you, if you gave a million dollars into an oil and gas partnership on Jan 1 and they drilled all year, you would get a 600 grand write-off in year one. And then I believe you get another 25% write-off over the first few years. So the idea is you're getting an immediate sort of write-off, you're getting an immediate income deduction for the money you choose to allocate to that. And typically the way these partnerships work, there is an income stream from it. Now, nowadays, oil and gas wells are, you know, these the sort of shale drilling produces the bulk of their production over the first year or two, year or two. So that you're getting a giant amount of cash flow tax protected over the first few years. And then you'll get a lower and lower income stream over the following years. The one really risk I would point out, I mean, obviously you're involved in the oil drilling business, but the biggest risk is that in order to get the tax benefit, you need to be seen as a at-risk participant. You are a general partner. So even though you're working with a firm that might do billions of drilling every year, you know, God forbid, this is the one where they hit a blank or they mess up by blank, you're sort of on the hook. And so, you know, what are the chances? Who knows? But, you know, there's lots of firms who've done this for a, lot, for a very long time. I know investors have been very pleased with it, but, you know, buyer beware. Buyer beware. Yeah, absolutely. And that is, again, not restricted by what state you live in, just if you choose to be an investor. Correct. And we're talking yeah. about federal taxation here. Right, right. Now, for people to consider their life after the exit, there's certainly these strategies around tax mitigation. And then there's the lifestyle and the fun things we want to do and continue to have access to funds. As you were saying earlier, we don't want to necessarily restrict ourselves if we if we do need that money. How do you counsel your clients when they're thinking about how much money do they need? Yeah. Look, I think, so what is it? Almost regardless of the size of the transaction, there is anxiety over after a sale, over am I going to outlive my money? 
I mean, we, we got a client earlier this year in the Northeast. He probably got 40 plus million dollars, not including the stock he received. And he's like, I got to plan this out because I don't want to run out of money. Um, all right, let's do that. And but, but that's because, like you say, there's a natural anxiety of, you know, I used to be making X. And now after the deal, they've cut me down to a quarter of X. And, and I'm used to running through the wall to grow my income. And now that's not available to me anymore. And I'm 50 something or 60 something. So my, you know, joie de vivre is not as much as it used to be. And yeah, I got this big check. So what's the plan? And so there is just, it, you know, I'm sure you've heard this a million times. There, this isn't rocket science. If we just get the, get the data together and look through it with them, you can really get a really good start on what the future is and a really good plan on what the future is. And, and it, it continues to surprise me the unlock that happens when owners, sellers see this information for the first time. And they're like, Oh, I can do that. This, the 50 million guy just bought a place in the, bought a house in the Caribbean on a golf course. Oh, I can do that. Yes, you can do that. And so it, knowledge is power, right? Knowledge is power. You've worked with a lot of clients. You've seen a lot of situations where things go well and things don't go well. Can you share any anonymous client examples where something didn't quite go the way they planned? Yeah, sure. So oftentimes when, when things don't go wrong, oftentimes when things don't go wrong, it's predictable. In other words, you go through this planning process and even the most disorganized person can come up with the information that they need to actually get a sense of what the future looks like. And when things go wrong, what typically happens is, okay, I got my check for a million or two or three or five. And we look at the numbers and say, gosh, you're going to go broke in 15 years or 20 years or whatever it is. And they're like, yeah, it's okay. We'll work it out when I'll cut back when I need to. It doesn't take nearly as long as you might think before they're actually taking meaningful money out of their account. And even if their account is still quite big and they say, well, gosh, my money, is, you know, I've taken out, I took out 150 grand last year and, you know, the market was down or whatever the case may be. All of a sudden, the anxiety just ratchets straight back up and hard decisions, hard decisions need to be made. And uh, that's typically that's typically what it is. Like, because, like I said, I don't I don't think the planning process is that complicated. I just think that people, some people, where it doesn't work out, people don't want to uh, react to what they see. So, if we're going to summarize it for people and summarize to three things, what recommendations do you have for business owners when it comes to the planning and and taking control and avoiding these pitfalls? Look, first and foremost, finding the financial comfort you're looking for after a transaction that you expect to get after a transaction requires developing skills that you develop for your business and applying them towards your personal. So it is how you spend, how you pay taxes, how you, you know, really plan for, for each of those things that you were really good at in your day job you now need to be much better at in your personal life. Um, so I think that that is, so, so it's knowledge, building knowledge, application, and then, you know, what is it? Plan the work and work the plan. 
That's right. Uh, so I think that is that that's I don't know if I gave you three there, but that that is really the that's really the key to it. Well, that could also count as your favorite quote because we talked earlier and you said, well, I'm not really a quote guy. And I said, well, that's OK. And but now here we are. You've got one. You've got one in your pocket. So is it, yes. is it the work your plan, plan your work, work your plan, or is there a different I'll, one? I'll, I'll take that. I'll take that. That's fine. <laughs> that I'll should be that. your quote. That's a good one. That's a good one. Chuck, if people want to learn more and they want to get in touch with you, what's a good way to do that? So uh, the business is Hurley Capital, uh, hurleycapital.com. And uh, we're on LinkedIn. We're on, um, I think we're on some YouTube stuff as well. But in any case, uh, hurleycapital.com is the best place to find us. Wonderful. Chuck, thank you so much for joining me on Succession Stories today and spotlighting this topic. Awesome. Thanks, Lori. Listeners, be sure to follow Succession Stories in your favorite podcast player and YouTube and leave us a review. To learn more about maximizing the value of your business and planning for transition, sign up for our newsletter and book a complimentary call with me at thebusinesstransitionsherpa.com. Join us next time on Succession Stories for more insights from transition to transaction. I hope that today's episode resonated with you. What actions will you take as a result? If you want to grow, sell, or transition your business, our strategic transition planning process provides clarity and objectivity on the big questions that may be weighing on your mind. Make an intention and take the next step. Set up a complimentary consultation with me to discuss your goals at thebusinesstransitionsherpa.com. That's thebusinesstransitionsherpa.com. 